do it in the morning, then you can spend the rest of the day making it up to your cat and apologising for doing that and having them love you again. Well, I loved how you explained it as just getting getting them used to the sensation, like it's a slow training process, like exploring. Like we, we say that with exploring, trying to get them used to the fact that they've got a harness on and having a leash. It's the same thing with brushing their teeth, I guess. It's just Absolutely. getting used to the sensation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cat Explorer podcast. I'm Asara. And I'm Daniel. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So share your takeaways on your Instagram stories and tag us at catexplorer.community and we'll reshare in our stories. Join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts, learn from them, listen to their war stories, celebrate their wins and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey. Today's reviews by Rich. He says, I love this. Excellent content and well-produced. Also, bonus points for being Australian. Thank you so much, Rich. Your review made our day. It would mean the world to us if you could leave a review for the Cat Explorer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll read it out on the show. I've got to tell you about Lumos's favourite cat backpack, the Ranger. Lumos is definitely the bigger of our two cats and he loves the space in the Ranger. He's also a fan of the mesh window at the front. We zip it open for him to see the world and close it when he's feeling a little anxious. What we, as in Daniel and I, love about the Ranger is the breathable padded back. It feels comfy on our back and it also has waist and chest straps to make it even more comfortable for those longer hikes. And you can get 10% off your very own Ranger cap backpack. Just use the code RANGERPODCAST at checkout. That's Ranger Podcast with no spaces at checkout at catexplorer.co forward slash cat hyphen backpack. Dr. Sam Sorensen is an amazing vet. She graduated from Murdoch University and has undertaken studies in many areas in relation to animal health. She has worked in multiple clinics and volunteered her time around the world in places like China, the Cook Islands, South Africa, Peru, and so much more. She's treated sea turtles, pigs, goats, and of course, cats. In South Africa, she volunteered at the Kruger National Park, conducting post-mortems and studied brain disease and TB in wild lions and leopards. Currently, Dr. Sam is based in Western Australia and runs the Yanchep Veterinary Hospital. She has a wealth of knowledge from animal dentistry, dermatology, surgery, and so much more. We're so excited to chat to Sam to learn more about looking after our cats and their health, Welcome to the show, Sam. Wow, Sam, where do we start? Sadly, we don't have the time to talk through all your amazing experiences, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your time volunteering at Kruger National Park. Okay, Hassara, I became involved just with volunteering there after sailing over from Bali to have a bit of a look at South Africa. And there's a really big problem with tuberculosis in the wild cats there. And that kind of spurned my interest to have a look. Now, in Kruger, you don't treat any animals at all. They're completely left to the wild. So that's why we pretty much only do postmortems, try and find out have we got an epidemic of any particular disease going through that we need to be concerned about that's increasing in numbers. So that's how I got involved. I saw lions with grass seeds that have kind of penetrated through their nose or mouth, gone up into the brain. We saw a number of leopards that had tuberculosis and those pose um, health risks for people who are out doing safaris because the TB-affected leopards and lions 
don't really know what they're doing and may attack humans, you know, rather than kind of sitting back and just watching the world go by as they might normally. So. Wow, that's just incredible. That would have been a really interesting time just to see all those potential things. I would have never thought of any of that. No, it was interesting, but it kind of sad. But, you know, that's unfortunately, that's how the world goes. Animals die sometimes in the wild. Well, all the time, I guess. But yeah, just part of knowing what's going on there. So my understanding is that feline dental health is one of your passions. Mm. What is cat dental health? And do you mind explaining what, why our cat's dental health is so important? Oh my goodness, I took I could talk for a hundred days on this. Okay, um, dental health is really important because that controls so much of your body if your dental health is not good. So particularly for cats, they get a lot of immune-mediated diseases or a lot of allergic-style reactions in their mouth to plaque and bacteria, and that can cause pain and difficulty eating and just really amp up their immune system so that other diseases come into play, maybe kidney disease and other skin diseases. And in, in addition to that, it's a big source of pain and it's something that as vets, for many years, we weren't taught anything about. And so clients and pet owners, they don't know much about it either. So I'd love to get the word out on at least getting people to look and check and some of the things to look for. That's so interesting. So how do we look after our cat's dental health? Okay, well, the first thing would be a regular dental checkup. Let the vet do that for you and educate you as time goes along. At our particular hospital, we do free dental checks. Now, I think you'll find many vets will do either reduce fee dental checks or include them in their annual health exam. But it's really important to make sure that the teeth are coming through properly from kitty, the little kitty teeth, that they're falling out when they should, that you're not getting overcrowding and keeping them free and clear of any bacteria and uh, anything else that can cause gum disease. And you would look more at the back of the mouth towards where the uh, jaw angle starts. Those upper and lower teeth there, they really look red and inflamed in some cats and you'll just miss it if you're only looking at their little smile teeth. Oh, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. So mm. how often should we be doing these dental checks at the vet? Okay. I, I know lots of people recommend once a year, but I can't imagine only having like any sort of dental care once a year. Your mouth would be like a sewer. So I recommend every three months when they're in their first year and then every six months or as needed if you find that they've got dental problems. So some cats with FIV, which is a very common virus in cats in Australia, up to 30% of cats in Australia have FIV. Um, they are much more prone to dental disease, much more prone to gum disease. And so those cats need a lot more home care and a lot more visits to the vet just to get some advice on what, what's happening. Have they got any cavities? Have they got any uh, gum disease that's really flaring up? Have they got any complications? Okay, that's really, really interesting. So do, does a cat always have to be under anaesthetic when they're at the vet for um, teeth? checking their dental health? 
No, your vet should be able to at least have a good look, a really good physical exam where they'll lift the lip, look right to the back at the corners of the little smile on their lips and open their mouth wide and have a look right back into the back of the throat and pharynx area because the teeth um, cause so much reaction when we've got bad gingivitis, the entire mouth can sometimes be affected. And um, that's one of the things we call stomatitis. That's where your gingivitis and your gum disease and your dental disease is just really affecting large areas of the mouth. Oh, okay. So that's really interesting that you mentioned that because um, before our podcast, I asked our community for what their questions were about dental health and a few members came back to us about stomatitis. Mm. So what exactly is it and how how is it treated? Does it ever go away? Oh, it's a really awful disease actually and it's one we mostly see in cats. we very rarely see it in dogs. What it is is your cat develops an allergic reaction to the bacteria that are normally on the teeth, even in low numbers. They don't have to have a massive mouth infection or um, plaque or calculus. But over time, they develop an allergic reaction to that where the gum meets the tooth. That gets really red and really painful and then gets more infection, more inflammation. Now, it can start off very mild and it can end up with the whole inside of the cat's mouth just being angry and red and smelly. They don't want to eat. They're painful. They can look really sick. So you get a huge range of beginning to kind of really end stage. Now, there's lots of ways you can try and treat. There's no one set way because we don't know why some cats react to this plaque versus other cats are not bothered at all. In extreme cases, really the only way to fix these cats is full mouth extractions of all of the teeth, trimming away those inflamed gums, stitching them together closed, and the cats will then go on and very happily live without any teeth. In fact, much more happy because they don't have the pain. It only takes them a few days and they're back to just racing around, eating. They even manage to eat biscuits. So you may it may just require teeth cleaning in the early stages, but things can progress to the point of needing full mouth extractions. And that's why your vet should have a look for you and really say, look, this is our plan. We're going to go forward um, with cleaning, possibly ending in ex- extractions. Okay, that's really interesting. So the main thing is that we really should talk to our vet about that. Absolutely, because every cat's different. So I have a really silly question. So what is the difference between stomatitis and gingivitis? Okay. So stomatitis involves the mouth. The stoma is the mouth or the opening. It's a Latin word. Gingivitis means it's really just confined inflammation to the gum margins, to the gum, where the tooth meets the gum. It can be quite extreme. And when the gingivitis starts to spread and affects deeper tissues and tissues further back away from that gum tooth margin, we call it stomatitis because it's more encompassing. It's more involved in the entire mouth. And those poor kitties, um, if you Google some pictures of those, you'll just be shocked at how they can even be eating. Their mouths just look like they're on fire. Poor things. That's really mm-hmm. sad to hear. Um, so is there a way that we can prevent gingivitis with our cats and how do we treat it? Okay, so preventing gingivitis is about preventing bacteria buildup around the gums and in the mouth. And so this is the bit that people are not going to like. You really need to be cleaning your cat's teeth at home or providing cat mouthwashes 
or providing special diets. Um, they're probably the only diet that is uh, Veterinary Oral Health Council approved for cats for reducing plaque is the Hills TD diet. There are other brands, but Hills is by far and away the best. They don't sponsor me, by the way. That's just a fact. Um, so providing all of these things will reduce gingivitis in cats. And if you can keep the gingivitis at bay, you can prevent a lot of dental problems from escalating and going on. So would you like me to tell you how to go about cleaning their teeth? That was going to be our next question. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the tricky bit. Easier said than done. So don't even really uh, try to do any any cleaning without letting your cat get gradually used to you handling them around the mouth. So first step is with your little kittens, even before they're teething, I just want people to put their fingers around the gums, run them under the lip and around the gums a couple of times a day to get the kitty used to having hands near mouth sets. All you need to do, don't even try to clean or do anything until they've lost their baby teeth and got their adult teeth. Once you're at that stage, I want you to start gently rubbing your index finger along the line of the gums, right around, just on the outside. You don't have to go in, on the inner surface of the tooth. You'll just get bitten. And then on the lower jaw, all the way around as well. Once your kitty's happy with that, and if you have to do like one second and then the next week, do it daily for two seconds. Once your kitty's used to that, you can start using some kitty toothpaste. You can't use people toothpaste, okay? Kitty toothpaste is designed to be able to be swallowed and is non-toxic. People toothpaste is not, so you mustn't do that. A little bit of toothpaste, and again, just use your finger, get the cat or kitten used to having that done. And then you can introduce, well, apparently the veterinary dentist would like us to introduce a baby toothbrush with the little soft bristles. I just don't find that's easy. I actually really like those little round makeup remover pads. Um, they, you'll see them, I think Swispers make them. They're just little round, non-moisturised ones. They are the perfect size for you to just put a tiny dab on and actually wipe the teeth rather than brushing. I find wiping is way easier. And you don't have to do it for two minutes like you do with people. You really only need to do 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and that's going to go such a long way towards keeping your cat's mouth healthy. And I've got one other tip when you're doing that. Don't do it on a table and don't do it on your lap because the cats will tend to put their claws down to try and stay in one place. Try and do it on the floor where there's some carpet and then just kneel down next to them and then the cats will sink their claws into the carpet and it'll all be over and done with without you getting scratched or anything. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Is there any frequency that we should be adhering to? Yeah, daily. <laughs> you can do it in the morning then you can spend the rest of the day making it up to your cat and apologizing for doing that and having them love you again yeah well i love how you explained it as just getting towards getting them used to the sensation like it's a slow training process like exploring like we we say that with exploring trying to get them used to the fact that they've got a harness on and having a leash it's the same thing with <clears throat> brushing their teeth, I guess. It's just Absolutely. getting used to that sensation. Yeah. They'll, they'll be tolerant of almost anything if it's not scary for them. So you mentioned that, um, kittens, we should start doing that process of rubbing their teeth when they start getting their adult teeth. 
Around what age does that happen? Usually around four months, unless you've got Persian cats or, you know, some of, some of the squishy-faced cats tend to be a little slower with their teeth coming through. But you could start when they're really young, but I find a lot of really young cats, uh, they just want to bite you and play with you at that stage. So just, and they're very mouthy when they're teething. So I'd probably wait, you know, four months, five months. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And um, you mentioned previously that there are mouthwashes for our cats. I didn't know about that. What, yeah. What, what kind of mouthwashes are out there? Okay, so there's there's quite a few different ones and they're a little bit different to our mouthwashes in that not all of them go directly into the cat's mouth. So there are some additives that you can put in the cat's water. Um, there's also some that you can put on their food and there's some can go directly in the mouth. One of the ones I like for direct in the mouth, which is really economical, is a gel called MaxiGuard gel only costs, I don't know, $10, $12. It's available non-prescription. You can probably buy it on the internet or over the counter from your veterinarian or pet store. Then there are some uh, water additives, healthy mouth, etc. And as far as food additives, we've got Plarkoff, Simply Seaweed. There's not a lot of studies to show that they give massive amounts of plaque reduction, but I think given that it's really quite difficult to clean cats' teeth, anything that you can do to reduce that and give them sound, healthy mouths, because it's so, so, so important, every little bit helps. And don't forget all your treats like Greenies, um, there's a few other brands of dental chews and dental treats and your um, biscuits, but please do not give cats bones at all, ever, any reason, if you want to keep their teeth clean. That's really interesting because I've all, like, that's the common thing that everyone says, give them a chicken wing or a chicken neck for mm -hmm. their teeth. Yeah. So that's not something we should be doing. This is a really big point of debate in the veterinary community. Um, we tend to give them bones from animals that are a bit bigger than what they would catch and eat in the wild. So even a chicken, you know, unless you're a great big feral cat that weighs up around 10, 12 kilos, going to find it very difficult to bring down a chicken. And what will happen is when they're chewing on those bones, just like if you're chewing on a cherry and you hit the pip or an olive, it's very likely that they could crack or break their teeth. And I see a lot of cats with those upper canine teeth completely snapped off. And a lot of the time that's due to bones. So I always say if you whack it on your knee and it hurts, it's not suitable to go in your cat's mouth. Oh, wow. I don't actually know that. That's really interesting. Um, another thing that I wanted to round back to was about kitty toothpaste. Mm -hmm. Because do you have any recommendations in terms of what we should be looking out for when we're looking for kitty toothpaste? Sure. Um, most of your vets and pet stores will sell chicken-flavoured cat dentifrice or toothpaste. So uh, there's a couple of different brands. PET is one of the good ones. CET is another one. They're pretty cheap. You don't need to use a lot. And honestly, you don't even have to use it. If you've got a good wiping technique, you can just use a dry makeup remover pad. I'm happy if people are doing something like that. It's If it if it means it's getting done because it's easy and you don't have to have a lot of stuff, then I'm all for it. Okay, that's that's good to hear. That's really interesting. Um, what we'll do is we'll include all those brands in the show notes and stuff sure. like that so everyone can find them. Um, 
So while we're on that, there is another um, little gel rinse, like a liquid rinse, that's very handy for going onto those makeup remover pads, or you can gently drip it into your cat's mouth. And that's called Hexa Rinse, and that's available over the counter. And a $35 bottle of that will last maybe 12 months. So really good value. So in terms of this overall strategy, I mean, we mentioned a lot of different techniques and products. Is the process an idea to use all of them or some of them or what's the approach? All right. So I think it's about what suits your cat and what suits your lifestyle. So cats with very bad gingivitis or who are very prone to dental disease, I'm going to say throw everything at them, everything that that cat will tolerate. Mouth rinses, wiping, special foods, treats like greenies for reducing plaque buildup. For your average kitty cat that doesn't really have any problems, then I think daily wiping and maybe some greenies treats or including some Hills TD biscuits in the diet would be a great start. Um, really, got, Your vet can guide you on what's most appropriate. Okay. So <clears throat> we talked about the, some of the issues that come up when you, when you don't sort of go through this process, such as gingivitis and... <clears throat> stomatitis Stomatitis. is there anything else that occurs because of this because of not brushing your teeth and what are the summer warning signs that we can look out for okay so there's quite a lot of things that can go in cat dentistry there's something called an f-o-r-l feline oral resorptive lesion and this is another weird thing that we see in cats that we don't really have an explanation for versus We don't see it in a lot of other species. And that's right at the edge where the tooth and the gum meet. They'll get a cavity or a carie, which is like less than a millimetre, and it's a hole in the enamel that will then allow bacteria to go into the tooth and into the root. The tooth will actually look quite okay from the outside, but it's a big cause of pain for the cat while the tooth is actually dying and being infected. And you will not pick that up unless you have a dental probe, which is a little spiky thing the vet can use, or with x-rays. So these these are all important reasons to have your vet um, check your cat's mouth because what looks to you like nothing with a trained eye may actually be something that, that really needs to be sorted out fairly quickly. The signs can be nothing. These cat eating is a survival mechanism, so some of these cats will just continue to eat. However, you may also see like broken up bits of biscuit, cats chewing with their head tilted to one side, all the broken biscuit around the bowl or where they eat. That can be a sign that they're tipping their head over one side or not able to eat properly. Um, They may just start losing weight, not seem very happy. And some cats just have no symptoms because they're just like, well, what's the point of showing a sign? I have to keep living. I have to keep eating. So that can be tricky. That's really interesting because, yeah, they say that cats are really good at hiding their pain as well. So, Totally. You've really opened my eyes, actually, I, and I'm really ashamed to say I don't remember the last time Lumos and Noxie had a teeth checkup, so we really need to get <laughs> onto that. Yeah, but you may find that while you're at the veterinarian and they were having their annual vax or their checkup, that the vet did have a look in their mouth, but perhaps just didn't communicate that to you. As vets are incredibly perceptive when it comes to looking at animals. You know, we smell them, we listen to them, we're watching them the whole time. We're what we we know what's going on, and there might be so much happening. The cat might be a bit distressed being at the vet that the visit gets wrapped up pretty quickly. But I reckon most. Most vets are looking in your cat's mouths now. One really interesting fact is that 
80% of cats and dogs over two years of age do have gingivitis and that even wild cats have significant gingivitis and dental disease, but they don't live as long as our cats, our domesticated cats. So a feral or wild cat might only live to be three or four, and so that dental disease doesn't get a chance to get really advanced and cause major problems. Um, but with our domestic cats, many of them are living into their 20s, and so oral care is really, really important. So another area that you're really passionate about is our cat's skin health. Yeah. How do we tell if a cat has healthy skin? There's so many skin problems that can occur in cats that there's not just one thing to look for. So what I would be looking for is a cat's skin, uh, maybe look at the fur, so any areas of hair loss, any patchiness, flakiness, dull coat, areas that are kind of clumped together, areas that have got moist spots on them, spots where the cat's constantly licking. Um, what else could you look for? Feel them, hard bits, lumpy bits, little dots. The skin is such a huge organ and it only has a few ways of responding to any sort of insult, injury, disease or problem. So a whole lot of different diseases and problems can present as similar-looking skin problems. <clears throat> so a member of a couple of members of our community have actually mentioned also about feline acne. Can you tell us about feline acne and what the symptoms and implications are? Sure. So feline acne, it sounds a bit like teenage acne, but it's not. Any age cat can get it. And it tends to occur on their little chin, just um, They've got a whole lot of oil glands and scent glands there and they can, can they can become blocked and plugged with some of the secretions that their cats are using to mark their territory and they form blackheads and in mild cases do absolutely nothing. It's not bothering the cat, it's purely an aesthetic thing but if you find that those blackheads are getting really inflamed, really plugged up, um, sore, red, got like draining muck or pus from them, um, off to the vet, they'll often require some anti-inflammatories, maybe a little bit of cortisone to settle the redness down, and then daily cleansing. And so we'll sometimes use something like Benzac AC, which is like a pimple cream for teenagers. Um, so we'll often use that daily, but you have to be sure to wipe it off because cats are not um, very tolerant of things on their fur and they will lick and ingest almost anything you put on them. So you want to make sure that that is a non-toxic one and that you wipe and clean it away. Okay, that's really interesting. It's um yeah, there's been a lot of commu um like communication and conversation around feline acne lately in our community. That there have been mentions that having a bowl where you're a small bowl where your cat can like constantly rub against the edge can actually cause it as well. Is that true? Oh, I've heard that theory. I don't know because I don't think so because one of my cat's favourite things to do is just run around the house and wipe her chin and whiskers and face on absolutely everything. It's her territory marking. So I guess it's not going to hurt to change bowls and maybe even change to a metal or ceramic bowl. Um, certainly isn't going to hurt, but I don't know that that's going to fix it. My advice is if it's not bothering the cat, just leave it alone because cats don't enjoy being medicated for any reason whatsoever. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. How about dry skin? How do we stop our cats from getting dry skin, especially in the cooler winter months? 
Okay. There's lots of causes of dry skin in cats, everything from hypothyroidism in systemic disease. But if it's due to cold weather, then really you need to humidify the room or the house that the cat's in. And it depends on how cold. Last week I was over in Canada where it was snowing and there was a little a big cat actually that lived there called Charlie and he would go out each morning running around in the snow no pore wax no nothing just a normal diet no humidification his coat was absolutely beautiful so my suggestion would be if your cat's got flaky skin and you've got a very long winter or it's very very cold you might want to go to the vet and just see if there's anything else going on um, it may be dietary deficiency so you can always add some omega-3s to cat's diet just be careful with omega-3s because a lot of the tablets and capsules uh, that are suitable for people are uh, mandarin-flavoured to give you that burpless sort of unsmelly so you don't get fish breath afterwards. Cats really hate that. So do buy a – there's usually a, a pump pack of omega-3s available for cats and dogs to go in their food. So that would really help. Lots of brushing to just encourage the oils to come through and help remove the dead skin. Um, other than that, I think might be worthwhile a visit to the vet if you've still got problems with that. Is there anything different we need to do for long-haired cats? I think long-haired cats just really just need brushing. Um, Long-haired cats are made that way as long as they're within, you know, kind of the normal range of cat fur lengths. Um, they can generally manage pretty well. So just brushing and that will just help remove any dead coat, um, increase the blood supply to the skin. I'm not a big fan of cutting their hair off um, unless they're matted. And often they're matted because they're either arthritic and they can't reach around far enough to clean themselves or, you know, they've got a mouth problem, they've got stomatitis, gingivitis, they're not cleaning or washing themselves. So I think long-haired cats, just keep them parasite-free, give them a nice brush, and usually they're not going to have a lot of problems. That's um, really great to hear. So another thing that you just briefly mentioned was about pore wax and things like that. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the cats in our community, they go exploring and they find that their pores and their toe beans, they come in contact with a lot of different surfaces. Is there anything we should look out for when we're walking our cats and especially with the surfaces they walk on? And is there a way we can protect their pores? Well, I guess the ultimate protection would be to keep them off really hot, really cold or really rough or abrasive surfaces. But that's not practical when you're cat exploring. That's the whole reason why you want to get them out and about is so they can have some fun and get their feet into nature. So my advice would be take your shoes off or put the back of your hand down onto the ground or the surface that you want them to walk on. And if you're not comfortable leaving your hand there or standing on that surface for a minute or so, don't expect your cat to be either. Pore wax can help somewhat. It's certainly not helpful for hot surfaces. Um, it's just going to melt off. Pore wax is probably more ideal if you're very cold or snowy surfaces. Um, I think really just use common sense. If you wouldn't walk on it on your own, then I don't think you should be expecting your cat to walk on it. And give them little breaks. That's the other thing. They can trot along on rough surfaces for a while, but get them up, get them back into their backpack or carry them for a little while and give their feet a bit of a rest and introduce them um, 
very slowly as well so their feet get a chance to become accommodated to that. Paw wax will help keep their paws supple and allow them to go over, you know, kind of bumpy terrain and, and not split or crack. But it's not a solution, you know, to really rough or or fall terrain. You might have to consider boots and I don't know how many cats will wear boots. None of mine have ever tolerated it. <laughs> it's really hard to ask. Yeah, they do look cute in boots, but it's not for every single cat. <laughs> no, the puss in boots thing looks lovely, but most cats just try to shake them off or pull them off. Yeah, it's not very practical. So we're talking about exploring outside, and we talked about some of the skin conditions that cats can have. Are there any other skin conditions that we should be looking out for? Sure. If cats are getting outside, there's loads of things that can happen. So um, some of the more unusual ones to think about are tree sap and tree gums. If they get stuck on your cat's feet or in the fur, that's going to be really difficult to get off. So keep an eye out for that. And you probably need to use something like that. Um, oh, gosh, there's that orange goo remover, orange-based goo remover that you can use. That's non-toxic. I'll try and find out what that is for and email it through to you. Um, Chewing gum, any sort of sticky stuff you don't want on their feet or on their fur. What else do we have to think about? Hmm. A bit stuck there now. <laughs> That's all good. It's um because I suppose um tree sap interestingly has been a conosation that everyone's been asking about because that's happened quite a lot, especially as warmer weather hits because we're recording this in April 2019. So everyone's moving into spring in the northern yeah. And so they're getting, the cats are getting tree sap on them. I think um another cat mentioned that they went, they got some pollen on their cat and their cat was allergic to it. So we got some hives on it from that as well, which was um really interesting. I suppose that's something that you wouldn't know till it happens. Yeah, I think you've got to be really careful of pollens. Um, certainly... Some of the uh, wildflower pollens are, are fine here in Australia, but with other of the more European-style pollens, particularly lilies and some of those plants, they're actually toxic if the cats lick them, and they're so toxic they can send them into renal failure. So hives is a relatively mild reaction to something like that. I think it's probably best to just kind of keep them away from pollens. Um, the other thing is if they're near plants and flowers with pollens, uh, very common for cats to stick their noses in flowers and end up with a bee sting. So I think that's all a little bit no-no, sticking your noses in flowers if you're a kitty. Maybe just um, keeping a wet rag so you can wipe pollens off their feet and off their face and don't leave it and let them lick off. A lot of people just don't realise how toxic some of those pollens can be. I guess the other thing that we saw uh, last summer was a cat that had got out and um, gone to where they were rebuilding part of the road and there was quite a lot of tar and bitumen there and the cat ran across that area, came back with stones and tar completely engulfing its entire foot. There's no solvent that's really um, safe and easy that's a household solvent. We had to go to our local mechanic and ask him for some brake and grease uh, removing solvent and um, it took hours. We had to get that off the cat's foot. So yeah, just don't let them out of your sight in areas like that. It's really dangerous and difficult for them. That's a really good point. I would have never thought of that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think also a really good idea is just to wipe your cat's paws every time you come home. Yep. Like it just um, 
it becomes a habit. They get used to it. So it doesn't annoy them when you have to do it while you're in the middle of somewhere as well. Another concern that I think of going outside with our cats is that we might be exposing them to other not so great creatures like fleas and mites and ticks and stuff like that. What should we be doing about these? Okay, so really you need to be putting a flea, mite and tick prevention on your cat before you go out. So if you're using a product that's got, particularly if you're in a tick area, you really need to be using something like uh, Bravecto and I believe Frontline Spray, although that's not used that commonly anymore, but Frontline Spray is um, registered for tick prevention in cats unfortunately in australia we're pretty much the only country that has paralysis ticks and um, i'm not sure there may be some people not aware of what what that involves but basically a tick bite single tick of um, exodes holocyclus and that will cause difficulty breathing then they can't swallow they get a lot of saliva building up and they literally start choking and suffocate they become weak in their legs they can't jump up and within 24 hours these cats can be facing death now there is an antidote for that um, not particularly expensive um, so you really should get to the vet immediately if you see something like that so prevention is best get something onto your cats well before then daily inspection of your cats to look for ticks and look for fleas and also watch out for things like snake bite you know we see our hospital cat uh, Jimmy at our veterinary hospital he we were in the bush he used to get out and he was treated for five snake bites you know the just horrendous what's he survived them all he finally died of heart failure at 13 unfortunately but um snake bites are very common in cats and they show the symptoms very slowly i mean his last snake bite a couple of years before he died that took 16 hours to really manifest in terms of uh, symptoms of being floppy and falling over so a couple of really important things to look out for there that's really interesting so the main symptoms of um snake bites is that being floppy and um, they look like they're drunk so kind of they'll just look spaced out like you look at them and you kind of go you're right and you they'll just kind of look at you differently and then as time goes on and maybe a matter of minutes or hours they they look like they're drunk or they can appear to look like they want to walk backwards or they fall over. One of the tests that I got taught many nearly 30 years ago when I worked up north in the bush was just pick the cat up and just hold it maybe a foot from the ground and just gently plop them onto the floor. And if they fall into a puddle or they don't sort of immediately spring their feet down to hold themselves up and stand up, very likely they've been bitten by a snake because the extensor muscles or the muscles that make their legs go nice and rigid and help you stand up, they tend to be paralysed before the flexor or folding up muscles. And so that's a pretty good way to at least get a strong suspicion, has my cat possibly been bitten by a snake? And um, it's pretty much been 100% reliable for me in 35 years of treating snake bites. So I'm a big fan of that little bushman's trick. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Um, uh, we'll definitely share that with everyone as well outside this podcast because I think that's a really good one. Um, another one that I've heard a lot about is Lyme's disease. Yeah. Is this something that our cats can get? And do you mind explaining what exactly Lyme's disease is and how we can avoid it and treat it? 
Sure. So Lyme's disease is L-Y-M-E-S. You don't have to be scared about any citrus-borne diseases in kitties. So Lyme's disease is uh, predominantly in North America and also in Europe, I believe. We supposedly don't have it here in Australia, though that's debatable. So Lyme's disease is caused by a bacteria called Borrelia and it's passed to animals, can be passed to people, can be passed to cats. It's rarely passed to cats, but it's possible. And that bacteria is called Borrelia. And that then goes on and causes inflammation throughout the body. Some cats will have very mild symptoms or no symptoms. And some of them can have such bad inflammation. They're very arthritic. They can start getting nephritis or uh, kidney disease, kidney inflammation, it can become life-threatening. So it's one of those things we I don't routinely see in Australia. I don't have to worry about it, but I believe in North America in particular, it's always on the list if you have a cat that has arthritis, unexplained arthritis or unexplained fever or being unwell. It does respond to antibiotics um, in the majority of cases, but unfortunately, Many people and cats and animals become carriers for life, a little bit like malaria. It can tend to wax and wane. This is a bug that gets into your blood and really hides away and is very, very difficult for the antibiotics to get to. So um, really important to practice tick prevention. I just can't stress it enough. So we mentioned before about allergies with cats and how pollen is an example of one. Are there any other examples of allergies that cats have and what are some of the symptoms of an allergy? Sure. So pollens can cause allergic reactions simply by contact and um, touching the cat, but they can also cause a lot of symptoms by being uh, breathed in. So you get what's called atopy in these cases, and that's where you may see sneezing, watery eyes, and unfortunately in some of these cats, really bad skin reactions just all over the body. So they'll lick and pickle their fur off their belly sometimes. They'll have this whole bald belly with little red patches. They can sometimes lick and pick at their fur around their tail or on their body. So pollen allergies can manifest like hay fever, but in cats, it's more frequently seen as a all-over-the-body sort of style allergy. Um, sadly, fish can cause allergy in cats. So a lot of fish-based cat foods can cause food allergy in cats. And the fish that we see more commonly cause that are the fish that are in the canned cat foods. So when fish are caught and netted, they become bruised. And when they're bruised, they release histamine into their tissues. And then that fish is then crushed up and made into cat food. And the cats are eating pure histamine, which histamine is what stimulates an allergic reaction. So fresh fish that you've caught yourself that's not bruised won't usually uh, trigger a food allergy in cats. It can do. You can be allergic to almost anything. But I see a lot of cats that are um, allergy triggered by high amounts of histamine in uh, canned fish cat food. The other things that can cause allergies are any sort of mites, um, any sort of critters that get on them from being outside. Again, parasite prevention is really important. Um, a few cats become allergic to other foods just like people can be allergic to peanuts or strawberries or whatever, you probably need to go and talk to your vet. That's a very individual thing. So yeah, mostly cats with allergies, it's due to flea bites, it's due to 
pollen inhalation and then some poor kitties molds and other things that they breathe in through the air so it's a huge area you i could spend an hour talking just about um allergies in cats the good news is um if it's food or fleas um then you can often just completely remove those things from the cat's environment you don't have to have any problems after that yeah, that's, that makes it a lot easier. Is there anything that we should be looking out for? Like, are there any symptoms that are common? Or is that something we need to talk to our vet about? Most common symptom is fur plucking. So if you see these cats and they've got bald bellies or a patch of fur missing from above their tail or on their tail, allergies are high up on the list. And flea allergies are very common as well, flea bite allergies. Um, they're probably 80% of the allergies that we see. So yeah, look, any hair loss, any redness, any bumps, or they can sometimes feel like little pinhead sized scabs on the cat's fur. That's often to do with allergies. It used to be called miliary eczema, which just means little dotty eczema. Um, people had put it down to hormonal changes. We now know that it's allergies. Okay. That's good to know. So our cats, they're known to be quite immaculate groomers, but sometimes we have to give our cats a bath because they get a bit dirty. Should we be bathing our cats regularly, even if they're not dirty? And do you have any suggestions on what we should be using to bathe our cats? Okay. I really am not a fan of bathing cats unless they have a skin problem. Um, cats are awesome at cleaning themselves. They've got those special little rough tongues that help pick up the fur and pull out all the fur they don't, they sort of are losing or don't need anymore. So if you have to bath your cat, I would recommend just using something really gentle that's specifically for dogs and cats, a hypoallergenic one. Don't use baby shampoo. Don't use people shampoo. The pH of cat skin and fur is completely different to ours. And one of the big problems is that if you use a detergent-based one, which most shampoos are, you're going to be stripping the oil out of their coat. And that's so important to have that nice layer on the skin that prevents allergies prevents bacteria from getting in deeper really keeps the skin nice and moisturized so um there is a natural shampoo made by derm care which if you do want to bath your cat i definitely recommend that but in terms of bathing cats um no not a fan yeah okay i completely understand that i think um we sometimes do have to do it if our cats get yeah. really, really dirty if they're outside. Um, and for Daniel and I, we actually Noxie had ringworm when we first got oh, her, so she had to. We had to. Bath. Yeah. yeah, yeah, We had to bathe them for that. But um, yeah, I think sometimes they don't really need to be bathed. So yeah, yeah. And they're definitely not fans of it. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely not. I remember in the old days the. 1980s before all these lovely spot-on flea controls and things were available I had three cats and every Saturday I used to have to flea shampoo them to keep the fleas under control oh my god it took like all afternoon they were all really angry it didn't seem to really make a big difference because the following week I'd have just as many fleas I think we're so lucky to be in this era where cat care is just so much easier with all these lovely products yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I've seen videos of cats online who like baths and who like water, but for the majority, I'd say it's not their favourite pastime. Definitely. 
Oh, for sure. And look, there are people that like strange things as well. Just, you know, some cats do like water. Um, some people like going to the dentist. You know, there's weirdness in all of us. <laughs> so I want to shift gears slightly and talk about cat first aid. Sure. Many members of our community love traveling long distances and they go with their cats hiking, camping and road trips. Do you have any suggestions of what we can include in the cat first aid kit? Yeah, um, make sure you've got a cat carrier or a cat box with you, whether it's a collapsible one and preferably a, a top-loading one because if you're heading towards the vet and the vet's got to get your injured cat out of the carry cage, they do not want to be putting their hands in frontwards to an injured cat. That's going to be a disaster for everyone. So top-loading cat box or pillowcase or a blanket so that you can safely secure that injured cat and either you treat them or get them to the vet. So that's the first thing is some sort of carrier, some sort of transportation for your cat that's not going to endanger everyone. I'd also take um, some tweezers so that you can pull out any stings, thorns, anything like that. I don't know that you want to take a lot of medication because cats are so good at hiding signs of injury that trying to do a diagnosis and get medication into an injured cat is not really the way. I think what you want is have a blanket to keep them warm, to keep them safe, stop them from injuring themselves. Maybe if you take a clean pillowcase, that would be ideal because you could fold that into a compress that you could press onto any bleeding if you needed to, but it also acts as a very safe little bag to put the cat in if, if you're stuck and you've got no other way to transport the cat. You can easily slide them in or at least put it over their head so that they're not fearful and that can really help to calm them down. Um, you may want to just take some eye drops, just either some Clorsic, which is an antibiotic eye drop that you can buy over the counter or even just some natural tears because one of the things that you would see fairly frequently when they're outside is um, damage to the eyes or pollens in the eyes or dust in the eyes. You want to get that out. Um, I wouldn't use any Band-Aids or anything. Cats are not very tolerant for that. You could try taking a what we call a Coflex or a um, uh, it's like a stretchy bandage that clings to itself. Uh, you could try taking one of those. But honestly, as a veterinarian, trying to bandage an injured cat when they're in pain, they're just not going to tolerate it. And I think the main thing with the first aid is for people to realise that you're not a loser if you can't manage to do any of this stuff, you know, to your cat while they're injured. The main thing is keep them safe and keep yourself safe and get them to a vet because we'll often have to sedate these kitties if they're badly injured just so that they're not stressed and so that we can safely handle them. Most of the other things, whether it's um, just a mild injury, like a, a scratch or a sore, you can take some super glue. Um, if you have a cut that's not very deep and less than a centimetre long, super glue is ideal for closing up wounds if they're clean. Um, there's not really a lot else that I would encourage you to do apart from some easy way to transport and handle a cat that's badly injured. Most of your other things can wait till you get to the vet. You don't have to sort of rush anywhere. Um, but if they're hit by a car or if they fall out of a tree and hurt themselves, you want to be able to move them safely. That's a really good point. I've heard about antibacterial um, wipes or drops and stuff like that. Is that something we should think about? Not really. Um, a lot of the antibacterials, things like triclosan, etc. 
they're in an alcohol base and that's just so not safe for cats to be licking. You know, the cat, anything you put on a cat, you have to remember they're probably going to want to lick it off. You may do more harm. Tap water is just perfect for cleaning most injuries, particularly in Australia. Our tap water is really clean. You can use it for flushing and cleaning wounds and injuries. You could maybe take a couple of syringes from your veterinarian if you want to be able to suck up uh, sterile saline or sterile water or even tap water and gently flush or lavage a wound. But I guess really that's something that I think a vet should be doing. You know, if, if the wound's that dirty and contaminated and big enough to require cleaning, I don't know that that's um, appropriate. It might be, but it's not always going to be appropriate for an owner to be doing themselves. Yeah, that's a really good point. I wanted to shift gears a little bit sure. because um, by taking our cats outside, we're also exposing them to more stimuli, which might be scary for them. So this could be mm -hmm. things like unleashed aggressive dogs or runners and bikes or even just like an experience of getting stuck in a tree. And a lot of us do take um, precautions to make sure these don't happen, but things do happen. We can't yeah. control everything. And sometimes these experiences can cause post-traumatic stress disorder in our cats. And I know you have some experience in treating PTSD in cats. Do you mind taking us through an example yeah. and how we can help manage PTSD in our cats? Okay. So um, only a couple of months ago, we had a very, very serious case of PTSD in a lovely cat called Vinny. Uh, he's just a little domestic shorthair. He lives with two really big dogs and he is very dog happy. He went outside and was attacked by two passing dogs in his own driveway. Now, not only was he attacked basically from the waist down, all his skin was pulled off right down his thighs, right down his legs, and he was rolled around in the dirt. He uh, wasn't able to be recovered for a uh, gotten out from under a structure in the backyard for some hours. So by the time we saw poor Vinny, he was in a horrendous way. So we took him to surgery, we cleaned everything up, we managed to graft him and um, put him back together. But then when we sent him home, he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't drink, and um, the owner was very worried. We treated him with plenty of painkillers and anti-inflammatories, but it seemed that with Vinny, this was really a mental case of PTSD, like more mental and psychological than um, I'm sure physical as well. So after nearly 10 days of him not eating and not drinking, we had to come up with a plan. So our plan worked really well. And what we did was with Vinny, we got a bedroom just for Vinny. We set it up with all his favourite things, his favourite toys, his own bed. No one was allowed to go in there except for Vinny's dad who was his favourite person and Vinny's dad wasn't allowed to even touch his own dogs have any dog smell on him at all because the dogs lived in not the dogs that attacked Vinny but yeah. some dogs lived in the house and I believe that just having the dogs there was what was triggering Vinny's PTSD so uh, Mike would go in and spend time patting Vinny just giving him cuddles we got him to play some special cat lullaby music. There's loads of it on the internet that you can download. So we had a MP4 player constantly playing relaxing music for cats. We also got Feel Away plugins. I don't know if anyone's heard of Feel Away, but it's a happy cat pheromone. And that was plugged into the room that Vinny was in, as well as Mike sprayed himself with the Feel Away spray, a happy cat pheromone, every time he went in to visit Vinny. 
He only handled him gently. He tried to keep any other smells like perfume or fragrances or anything like that off himself. He wouldn't go in there straight after a shower um, just in case there was any deodorant smell or soap smell. Within about three days, Vinny started to eat and with more and more cuddles and handling and uh, the music continuing, we soon got Vinny back to his normal naughty powerhouse self. Um, Vinny's actually been attacked previously uh, by a fox uh, a few years ago and had very nasty injury as well. So I think his PTSD was compounded at by it being a second um, occurrence. Mike has subsequently gone and bought Vinny a leather jacket with studs around the collar to <laughs> to make Vinny sort of feel like the tough little guy that he is. So it had a happy ending but took nearly three weeks for us to get um, Vinny even even back to eating, you know, he would drool if anyone touched him. He put his ears back. He showed all the signs that he was just absolutely terrified. So all ended well, but certainly we need to be cognizant of the fact that cats really do suffer from PTSD and it really needs to be, uh, you need to pay attention to that. Yeah, that's such a good point about how we should think about what's happened and what the potential effects of it could be as well. So that's, that's a really good point. Another thing that I know that you're very passionate about is the importance of microchipping our cats. Yeah. Do you mind talking us through that a little bit? Okay. um, All over Australia, it is now mandatory that cats are microchipped. However, some people seem to think their cats only inside and, I don't really want to have to microchip it. Um, The cats that are only inside are actually the cats that I think are probably at biggest risk because once they get outside and get lost, they really don't know their way back. So microchipping is a tiny little electronic microchip. looks a bit like a grain of rice. It's probably half the size of a piece of basmati rice and it's injected under the skin between the shoulder blades. Now, That then has a scanner passed over it, a bit like when you go to the supermarket and your barcode for your items goes past the scanner. That brings up information. With the scanner that vets and uh, the rangers, et cetera, councils use, that scanner gives you a unique number. It's about 15 digits long. That goes into a database and it'll say, this is uh, Fluffy Brown and his phone number is this and he lives here and has all the details. So, Microchipping is the only way that your cat is going to get back to you if it gets lost. Like that is his lifeline or her lifeline. Collar and tags can come off and I know lots of people say, oh, my cat doesn't wear a collar when they're at home. That's fair enough. But what happens if they escape? They've they've got absolutely no ID on them. Um, If they don't have a microchip, people are just not going to know who they belong to. So please, please, please have a microchip done. They're relatively cheap, anywhere between $25 and $55, and that'll include lifetime registration on the microchip register, which is different to your council register. And then importantly, every time you move house or change phone number or if they're passed on to somebody else, if you can't care for your cat anymore, it's very important that you update those details and your vet can help you with that. So that's my spiel on microchipping life-saving. Yes, I agree. And um, because we've got listeners all around the world and I know in some areas it's still slowly coming about, but there is the one, one, one vet in the city who might be doing it and I recommend that you get in contact with them and get it done. Um, 
it might be a little bit more expensive than a typical visit for those kind of areas, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah, if, if you, you factor in the cost for the entire life of the cat, so let's say it was extreme, a hundred Australian dollars, which it won't be, but let's assume if that cat lives another ten years, that's ten dollars a year to know that you can get your cat back. That's just nothing. It's a risk reduction measure that I think most people in the scheme of things would gladly pay once and if they, you know, unfortunately encounter that situation. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen to anyone, but I mean, you just think about situations such as the odd time you leave a door open or, you know, the odd time the cat is outside and you've turned away for a moment and they've jumped over the fence or something. Yep, or, it always happens accidentally. Yeah. Yep, it's, always. It's always unexpected. It's always the least likely place and you know you go exploring or whatever and somehow somewhere like you just uh, something snaps or you, yep. your leash doesn't hold or some reason and they wiggle out of the harness it it can happen it's you know you hear about the stories and <clears throat> it'd be devastating to think that you didn't pay the money just to get that little bit of extra security done so only a couple of months ago we had a cat that was presented to our veterinary hospital that somebody had found and we scanned him and luckily he had a microchip when we looked on the register online we found his owner's contact details and they came to get him and surprise surprise he had been missing for nine months and so it just demonstrates how really useful it is. They were so happy. I think they'd given up on ever getting their cat back. And we hear lots of stories of cats and dogs being reunited after months and months of being missing. So definitely a great idea. Yep, definitely agree. So Sam, we're coming up to the, uh, it's the end of the podcast. Uh, we, why don't I just ask you three questions that we ask all our guests? The first one being, what do you hope to see in the future regarding the movement of cats who explore with their humans? I would so love to see more of it. I think this is one of the most exciting things that I've heard about in such a long time. Particularly, I've lived in Asia in an apartment with a cat and her life was really restricted in terms of what she could do. And I did used to take her out on a lead, but I felt like I was a bit of a weirdo. And I think people looked at me like, what the hell? But look, it was China. Lots of strange things happen there. I just think with the legislation, keeping cats indoors, and there's a lot of cat covenants in different places where people are living, cats need enrichment of their environment. I can't think of any better way than getting them out and about and bonding with their human and having fun. And I just think it's fantastic. That's awesome. I completely agree. It's, um, well, we're obviously biased being cat explorer and everything, but I completely agree. It's something that's a great opportunity for our cats. What cats or cat-related accounts in- online inspire you? Mm, there's so many. Um, there's one that I really like. It's um, it's called My Cat is a Dick, and it's <laughs> it's um, just a whole lot of cats doing really crazy funny things. So I just think cats have such a great sense of humour and it's all very well to see them as cuddly and all the rest of it, but sometimes they're so naughty and so cheeky. I love just being reminded of their independence and their naughtiness sometimes. Um, There's also Simon's cat. I imagine everybody in the world's seen Simon's cat. That just, everyone who sees that for some reason is able to say, that's my cat, my cat does that. So I love that and I love Simon, the way he's just resigned to living with this cat that just controls his life. And I think that's how all cats' households should be. Cats should control the household. Um, What else do I like? Mm, I guess 
There's so many. It would be hard to choose. One of my favourite YouTube videos is of, uh, I don't know if you know her, there's a cat called Hawkeye. She's a scuba diving cat. Oh, wow. That's really, really cool. Yeah, she goes scuba diving with her dog friend. Um, It's amazing. So definitely worthwhile looking up that YouTube video of Hawkeye the scuba cat. She's probably one of the most amazing cats I've ever seen. Yeah, so them, and of course, I love Jerry, our hospital cat. He features on our Facebook page quite a lot. Um, anything cat, really. <laughs> what product, service, or program has been a game changer for you and your cats? Um, Feelaway's definitely been a game changer for us. Our veterinary hospital, we have designated areas for the cats. We have a separate cat ward. We have cat music and cat feelaway in there to settle them down and make them comfortable. We have a designated cat consult room where only the cats are supposed to go in there and we have feelaway. We have um, feel-away at diffusers plugged in at our cat parking station in our veterinary hospital. So I've gone from really having to spend a lot of time calming down stressed cats because they just don't like travelling um, to really being able to work with cats and have them feel a lot less stressed out. And I think really just something as simple as these spot-on wormers and spot-on flea control, you know, medicating cats is really hard for the average person and I know that I can get really great compliance when I say to people here's a worm treatment that you can put on the back of your cat's head or a flea treatment that you can put on the back of your cat's neck and I know that that's getting done otherwise I'm thinking about what's happening at home is the pill under the sofa is it being um, spat out under the dining table have the owners got scratches all over them so I think just being able to treat cats more easily and with less stress in all these ways, all these things mean less stress for the cat, just makes me happy as a cat vet. Yeah, that I, I completely relate to the finding the pills all over the place. Lumos <laughs> was on, like, antibiotics about a year ago and, like, they were bright green so we could see them, but, like, we'd put them in and then an hour later we'd find them somewhere on the complete other side of the house and it's like, how what? <laughs> How did he even get that? <laughs> yeah. So I completely relate to that. So Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a blast and we've learned so much. Where can we follow you online? Um, I'm just at Yanchep Veterinary Hospital. Uh, we have a website. We also have a pretty active Facebook page. People are more than welcome to come along and have a look at our Facebook page, like us. And then I'm more than happy to answer any questions anybody's got. Um, I, I don't really do too much on Instagram. I'm way too busy at the vet hospital to really follow up with that. So just Facebook and our, our website. Yep, sure. What I'll do is I'll put those links and any other links from today's episode in the show notes, which will be available at catexplorer.co forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. It would mean the world to us if you could hit subscribe and review the Cat Explorer podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help us to continue to get some awesome guests for you. As always, thank you so much for being a part of the Cat Explorer community. That's it for today. We'll catch you next time. In the meantime, enjoy giving your kitty the world. <laughs>